The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 8, verses 37 through 59. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? You are, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which, is one, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are you not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, uh, and he is the, he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. And if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Oliver. We've got a lot of fathers in the room today, and I uh, just want to say that uh, at Downtown Church, we have a lot, of, um, a lot of men that have fostered, that have adopted children, and it's a beautiful thing to see, and I just want to remember you as well. And also, uh, we have some guests today. I think we have some MTR residents with us, and just want to thank you all for being here. And if you come back next week, you're going to have lunch. So, <laughs> so uh, we hope that you'll, uh, you'll come back next week. Um, as we come to John 8 this morning, and we fin finish out this chapter, uh, man, Jesus is not playing nice. He is uh, throwing it down with the Pharisees, and um, so therefore he's throwing it down with us. Uh, 
and we have to deal with these words. So as we go to his word this morning, let's take some time, and I would just uh, challenge you to um, just pray to God that he would open your heart and your mind to hear what he would have for you um, in our time together this morning. So let's go to God now. Father, I pray that you would speak to us in the recesses of our hearts and minds, that, Father, you would expose the deception and the lies of the evil one, that you will show us how we have been listening to Father Devil more than we've listened to Father God. I pray that you would help us to be shaken by your love out of the clutches of deception and into the light of the truth. Father, for that to happen, your spirit must come and do the work that only he can do. So do it now. We beg, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Children believe what their fathers say until they don't. <laughs> I remember um, when I was probably four years old, my, I would watch Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom every Sunday. Uh, I believe it came on at 3 or 4, maybe 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and I lived for it because Marlon would be in his helicopter, you know, somewhere deep in Africa, and Jim would be down wrangling a wildebeest on the ground, uh, and Marlon would be commentating about what was going on on the ground. And I would just be enthralled. I was watching, here's my age, black and white TV, and I, I can almost smell the smells. I can remember my dad sitting on the couch behind me. I can remember sitting on the floor as close to the TV as I could possibly get. And I was so excited and enthralled, and I said, Dad, would you take me to Africa one day? And he said, yes, son, I will take you to Africa one day. That was 53, 54 years ago, and I still remember it. And that joker never took me to Africa. <laughs> we hang on the words of our fathers. And our, what our fathers speak have power over us. The, the powerful connection between father, son, and daughter is irrefutable. It's true in the physical world but it's also true in the spiritual world. You see, what Jesus is showing us in this passage is so much, but the reality is that we are looking, really what we're looking for on earth is what we can only find in heaven. We are looking for someone good. We're looking for someone with the authority to see us, to affirm us, to love us, to give us the kind of identity and stabilization that we need and security and safety that we need as human beings. We're created with this innate desire to hear a good father say, well done. I love you. I'm proud of you. 
And so Jesus reveals, though, that the only father that can do that is Father God. However, there is another father, and we are so longing, we are so, so desperate for some direction, for some love, for some affirmation that there's another father that we are listening to when we're not listening to Father God, and that is Father Devil. Jesus says this, it, it, it's astounding in verse 44, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. The religious, morally upright, the, the professors, those that were held in high esteem in, in, in Israel, Jesus says that they are of their father the devil. And if Jesus can say that to the church then, certainly he can say that to us today. And we have to grapple with these words because the principle is this, you will do what your father says. And this is, this is really how you know who your father is, whose will are you doing. Verse 40, excuse me, 39, Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. In other words, you're not looking to God as your father. Verse 51, truly, truly, in other words, listen, listen, listen. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. In other words, if you do look to Father God, if you are listening to him, then you, it, it proves that you, your dependence and your trust is in him, not the devil. The main idea is clear. Relationship with your spiritual father either produces good or evil in and through your life, depending upon if that spiritual father is the devil or God. So the question is, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? I mean, what we want to do is really uh, take a DNA test this morning and say, who is the daddy that I'm really listening to? Who really has my heart? It's such a significant passage because it's really relating the, the relational um, nature of sin. We don't just sin. Sin grows out of faith and trust in either Father God or Father Devil. This is all strange. <laughs> we don't preach much about the devil, and that's why we need this this morning. So the first thing that we can see is that when your father is the devil, you live his lies. Man, his lies are so subtle. I was coaching a ministry couple this week through this Bible study, Sonship, that I've mentioned numerous times before. And the whole goal of sonship is to, number one, expose the lies that we're believing. And in chapter one or lesson one, there's a list of things, uh, false beliefs that we can hold, um, and then the truth on the side. And so uh, this couple had done their homework, and I was talking to them. I said, what does it look like for you to not believe your father? A father who loves you, who delights in you, who accepts you. There's nothing else you can do to get more of his love at all. And one of them stated this. Remember, a ministry couple in another city. One said, I'm anxious over felt needs, have a need to be right. I compare myself constantly with others, and I feel alone. So I asked the spouse, what does it look like for you? They said, I feel alone. I'm self-loathing and anxious over felt needs. I have been doing this study for about 25 years, and it never fails. 
I have yet to find somebody who says, I, I've got it down pat. I don't live like an orphan. I have, you know, I know I live constantly with this assurance that God loves me, that he favors me, that he sent his son to live, die, rise again. I never struggle with insecurity. I never struggle with pride. <laughs> I never struggle. Always, always, always. And every time that I do it, I see the lies in my own heart. How many in here feel alone? How many of you feel anxious over felt needs? How many of you are self-loathing? Dear friends, you're believing a lie, and it's so subtle and yet so powerful. Then I asked them, I said, where are the promises of God right now for you? Are they on the surface of your heart? Are they deeply penetrating your heart or somewhere in between? And both of them said, they're on the surface of my heart. This is a minister. <laughs> this is someone who's preaching the gospel and saying, the promises of God, the love of God that I'm telling others about is not really penetrating my own heart. In counseling terms, this would be referred to as avoidant or insecure attachment. In other words, what we're learning is that when we don't get the nurture and the love and the security that we need as children, uh, really from zero through 18 months, then, then it impacts how we look at people and how we deal with, you know, relate with people around us from that point forward. And either we have avoidant attachment or insecure attachment. We're just not quite sure about trusting somebody else. And, and even and especially those closest to us. And even and especially God himself. And so what we see is that those that have experienced trauma, and if we go back, and we've mentioned this numerous times, we go back to the sexual revolution. We see that, uh, you know, people were free. Divorce became normalized. Broken homes, it's okay. It's just normal. And yet now what we're dealing with are the generations in the wake of that. And we're seeing insecure attachment, avoidant attachment. We're seeing we are struggling, literally, to be able to trust people. To, have, to be intimate with people. We aren't looking for deep, lifelong intimacy. We're looking for a tender hookup. Because why? Because of our brokenness, because of our trauma, because we've just given up trying to, to think that one person, that I could literally live with one person, we're avoiding attachment. We have insecure attachment. Here's the deal. If I'm not deeply trusting my God as Father, if I'm not deeply attaching to God as my Father, then I am attaching to another Father. And it's the devil. It's the accuser. It's the liar. It's the murderer. It's the manipulator. It's the one who wants you to sit here this morning and, be, and think that you are in great shape but be absolutely apathetic with Jesus. You know, you're not, you don't hate him, but you're not passionately in love with him. I mean, you're okay being here. You, you got in the car this morning, but he is not the operator. He's not what's driving you from the deepest part of your soul. You are avoiding attachment with God. You have insecure attachment with God. Salvation is so much more than just making a decision and getting your sins forgiven. 
Salvation is going from the kingdom and power of the devil to the kingdom and power of a good, good father. One who chases you down, one who is willing to knock down any wall, who is willing to debunk any lie. That's what we just sang. Why does that connect so deeply if we really are opening our hearts? Because that's what we long for. It's what we want. It's what we so wish were true, and friends, it is. And that's what salvation is all about. It's going from trusting in me, which is really trusting in the devil and the big lies that we're going to get to in a minute, to trusting that there is a father who passionately loves me, who's always had me on his mind and heart, who I'm never, he can't ignore me. He can't run from me. He can't, he can't put me outside. He can't be um, um, mad at me. He is a God that is passionately loving me, disciplined me at times. Why? Because that's what good, good fathers do. But discipline me, me in such a way that I'm reminded of his love and his goodness. The problem is, is that we are already as Christians in his arms, but we are unwilling to really give him our hearts. And Voskamp, write this down. Everybody here needs to read it. Uh, the Waymaker, or it's just called Waymaker, Ann Voskamp. Um, she is so vulnerable. In this book, I've not read any other books by Anne, but this is profound. It's like she just opens her life, tells you things that you're like, did her husband say she could say that? I mean, I mean, she is revealing the stuff, and yet she is weaving the gospel. She is debunking the lies and weaving the gospel and showing us how to walk by faith. And one thing that she deals with is how you can trust God when there's deep hurt in your life. Because you know where we go. We go from the deep hurt to, I can't trust you. But this is what she says. This, this line just keeps going over and over in my mind. She says, we don't need answers from God. In other words, we don't need God to give us a book. Oh, this is why I did that. We don't need answers from God. We need attachment with God. We need living relationship with the living God of heaven and earth. That's what Christianity is. That's why Jesus lived, died, and rose again. That's why the Spirit lives within us, that we might walk intimately and passionately with God himself. We need to be deeply attached to God. One source that I read this week said this about earthly fathers. Studies have shown that when fathers are affectionate and supportive, it greatly affects a child's cognitive and social development. It also instills an overall sense of well-being and self-confidence. That's what the Heavenly Father does. When you give your heart to the Father, you find the security to withstand the storms, and you stop asking, why, why, why? And you just, you, you're, you're in the midst of the refuge that is God. And, and the waves of life and, and the, the, the troubles of life are crashing in on the walls, but he is your security. He is your refuge. He is your strength. I love the Psalms. Why? Because the psalmist doesn't say God builds a refuge for you to get in. It says what? God is your refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. He doesn't send help. He is help. So if we're not in the refuge, we're standing out here blaming God when he says the door's wide open. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. The primary lie that the devil wants us to believe is that you're a fool to trust God. 
that you're just all these people raising their hands, all these people giving their lives to Jesus. This is just ridiculous. That's what the devil wants you to believe. You, you heard it in the garden. It was so subtle. And this is typically how the devil works. Did God really say you should not eat of the fruit of this tree? Oh, he just, he just doesn't want you to, to know good and evil. He, he's holding something back from you. Oh, he doesn't want you to know where real life is. Friends, he is still whispering that today. Jesus said this in verses 31 through 32 of this chapter. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. In other words, if you know it, let me, let me just read it. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Whose word do we abide in? The true father that we're following, the one who has our heart. So if you abide in his word, he has your heart, and yes, you're going to walk in the truth. The lie that the Pharisees were believing was this. We are descendants of Abraham, thus God is our father. I got the right lineage. I was born in the right family. I got the right blood in my veins, therefore I'm good, thank you, Jesus. That was the lie that was taking them down. That was the pride. It was religion. And religion produces arrogance and pride and self-righteousness and condemnation and a critical spirit. And that's where the Pharisees were. And Jesus said that, that they could not even receive his word. They couldn't take it. Why? Because they were unteachable. And so what Abraham did is he trusted God. He gave his heart. He attached to God. He emotionally, um, spiritually, rationally attached himself to God. And therefore, where God said go, he went. When God said, bring your son that you've been waiting for all your life, all your married life, you know, up on the mountain and sacrifice him, Abraham did it. Why? Because God had his heart. He was attached to God. He trusted God, even down to doing something unthinkable. However, Jesus is declaring to the Pharisees are not children of Abraham, for they're not like him at all. Are you like Abraham or are you like the Pharisee? Does God have your heart or does he not? When your father is the devil, you live his lies. Secondly, the devil is a familiar father. We need to lay down a pocket theology of the devil real quick. And I'm just going to read one passage, Ezekiel 28. Listen to this, and here's your theology of the devil right here. Ezekiel 28, verses 13 through 17. You are the signet of perfection. This is God speaking to the devil. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. On the day that you were created... They were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. So what do we know about the devil? He was created. He was an angel. He was a cherub. You were, um, I placed you, and you were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. 
You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Created blameless. Created righteous. Till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. Where does the violence of this world come from? The devil himself. So I cast you out as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. Wow. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. The very, where, did the, where did the cherub get his beauty? He's created, got it from God. He takes ownership of it, credit for it, and now he's proud of the very thing that God gave him. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. In other words, you stopped believing truth, and you started creating lies in order to exalt yourself. And therefore, I cast you to the ground. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Why does he do that? Because misery loves company. Have you ever found that, that if you're miserable, you hate to be around joyful people? But, I mean, I love doing this when I see children, and I think my wife loves doing this to me when she sees me pouting. Um... I see a child, and they, they just, they're acting miserable. I love to mess with that. I love to poke at that. Oh, you're so miserable, so I guess you don't want to go get ice cream. No, no, I don't want to go get ice cream. Oh, I guess you're so miserable, you don't want to go to the water slide. No, no. And after a while, they're smiling. Misery loves company. The devil never smiles because the devil never receives or even um, gives a nod to anything good. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, seeking to rob God of his glory. The name Satan means accuser. He accuses God's people before God, who in Revelation 12, who accuses them day and night before our God. He tempted Jesus in the desert. In our text, he's a murderer and a liar. What, what <laughs> Jesus is saying, if his Satan's mouth is moving, he's lying. And here's the thing, if we believe in a Holy Spirit and we believe in a Heavenly Father, is it too far of a jump to believe in an unholy spirit and a hellish father? I mean, if you look at your own life and you look at this world, which one, I mean, it's, it's kind of easier to build an apologetic for the devil than it is for God sometimes. If you look at our experience, it, it, it's a lot easier to build an apologetic for an unholy spirit than for a holy spirit. It's not foolish to believe in a devil any more than it's foolish to believe in God. But then thirdly and finally, the truth will set you free. But freedom comes only as we, as we bring the lies we believe to the light. The truth will set you free, but such freedom comes only as we bring the lies we believe to the light. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 3. He said, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, speaking to the believers in the church in Corinth, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will lead astray uh, will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
Let me read that again. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The devil wants you. He wants to keep you bound up over here from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Again, you can have anything short of that. You can have ambivalence toward Christ. You can have a nod toward Christ. You can have kind of a, you know, an acquaintance attitude toward Christ. But the devil will fight you when you seek to have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. But there's good news, James 4. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Scott Sauls, in his new book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, writes this. And Scott is one of the best ministers I know, and this is what he said. Quote, you suck. When someone said to this, to the, this to me recently, it wasn't the sound of the words that surprised me as much as it was the person who said them. The insult didn't come from a stranger on the internet, an upset church member, a partisan antagonist, or some other usual suspect. Instead, it came from someone I've known my entire life. This person understands me inside and out. I'm closer to him than I, than I am to anyone else, including my brother, my children, and even my wife. The person who told me that I suck was me. I said the words out loud while hiking alone. It slipped out of my mouth impulsively as if from a primal instinct, without premeditation, and straight from the heart. Lodged in my heart at the time was a shameful memory of mean-spirited words I had spoken to another person in public. My words had been crafted to harm, targeting a fragile, vulnerable place in her soul. I wanted to injure and humiliate her. It was cruel, and I was cruel. I've replayed this incident in my mind many times. I've offered several apologies and received her forgiveness each time. Eventually, she insisted I stop apologizing because we were approaching the 70 times 7 mark. The hurtful incident for which she and God forgave me, and because of which I recently told myself, you suck, happened 37 years ago. It's been almost four decades, but still feels like yesterday. Like a familiar song or a movie, the memory has become part of me. Like the damn spot that Lady Macbeth tried frantically but unsuccessfully to erase. And friends, every one of us in this room has an incident like that that we replay. It's on, it's on repeat in our minds and our hearts. You suck. You suck. You suck. There's no way God can love you. You don't have any trouble believing God can love people around you. You're not worth it. You've not done enough. If people really knew, that is constantly playing. And friends, that's the lie that we have to attack I love what Scott saw. I took a picture of it. Didn't plan on using the sermon, but it's so good. He also writes in that book, if ever you're tempted to hate yourself, be careful. It's a grievous thing to hate a child whom God cannot stop loving. How do we do it? How do we do it? Number one, we've got to identify the lies that have taken root in our heart. And friends, some of you and some of us may need to go counseling to get to the root of that. 
you may need help. I'm just now getting to the root. I'm 57 years old. I'm just now getting to the roots of the lies that I believe because of what happened and what my narrative throughout my life, particularly as a child. But that's okay. If that's what it takes, go to counseling. Go to a friend. Go to your spouse. Go to your children. Go to your parents. Get the lies. Get to the root. Name them. Write them down. What are you believing that is a root that, that its root goes to the devil himself that has been paralyzing you and, and killing you and, 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 and holding you back. Second, counter by speaking the truth of God's word into your heart. Friends, we need more than kindness to ourselves. And we have more than kindness to ourselves. We have the ever-loving love of God. We have a God who constantly pursues us, that constant, that has done everything He has to do in order to love us without question. There is nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. Nothing. Can you, there is nothing you can do to separate yourself from God. You think you can do it? Then you're saying Jesus' life, death, and resurrection wasn't enough. There was a little bit more God should have done for your special case. God calls, I can't say it, God says no to that. Counter by speaking the truth of God. How do you feel? What does God say about you? And then thirdly, be still and know He's your God. The Hebrew word there for know, this is, that's Psalm 4610, is yada. This is what Ann Voskamp does in her book. She really exegetes that all throughout her book, but to know, it's the same word used in Genesis 4-1 when, when we read, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. That's how God says, be still and know I'm your God. Like you get down to the deepest desires of your body, your mind, your everything. Be still and know that I'm your God. Experience your God. Get alone with your God. Satan is doing everything on the planet to keep you from being alone with God. He says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. My arms are open. The whole point of this passage is that the, the Pharisees would not believe Jesus to be everything. And Jesus presents himself as everything. He says this in verses 57 through 58. So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I'm everything. I'm the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. I'm the love you're looking for. I'm the significance you're looking for. John Calvin said this, as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. All that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. This is sexual language. And, and John Calvin knew exactly what he was. This is an old dead theologian. I didn't think he had it in him. All that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. Dear friends, who owns your headspace? Who is ruling your thought life? 
What has a hold on you? Identify that lie. Counter by speaking the truth and be still before God. And may he break the strongholds of our life because Jesus has done enough to possess us as his children. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the love that you have for us. And Father, I pray that in the next few minutes that God, you would get to our hearts, show us our pride, show us our arrogance, show us all the ways that that we have rejected you by just being complacent towards you. Father, show us the habits of our lives that are keeping us from finding your love. And Father, I pray that you would free the captives in this place this morning. God, I pray that you would break the strongholds that the devil has on your people. That, Father, you would bring faith, that you would bring hope, that you would bring courage to face the pain and the trauma to face the lies, to admit, even to those around us, the things that are holding us down and holding us back from experiencing all that you are and have for us. Oh God, would you do your work? Would you do it profoundly in us, even as we come to the table this morning? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's uh, lift our hands up and receive the blessing of God through his word. Dear friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, friends. Thank you.